Would you stand as we read God's word together this morning? And it is a conglomeration of scriptures, as you'll see. First of all, from uh, Psalm chapter 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. For with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. The good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart, and the evil man evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For out of the outer flow of his heart his mouth speaks. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You may be seated. You know, we are inundated every day with things on, on the Internet. And I, when I read some of these figures, I, I was just staggered by the, number, the, the amount of communication that goes on online. Every day on, on, on Twitter, there are 6,000 6, tweets a second. 6,000 tweets a second, 350,000 per minute, and 500 million per day, with 200 billion per year. That's just Twitter. On Facebook, there are 8,500 8, per second. They're posts per second. 510,000 per minute, 734 per, uh, per day, and 267 billion per year. There are a billion there are a billion Instagram posts every year. And that's not even including WhatsApp. I mean, what we use here in Asia or what they use in China. Um, what's the one? WeChat. That, that's not including those as well. And I can imagine that every single day, every single day that there are those who are, there's probably hundreds if not thousands of people who every day have sent something, have pushed send and wished, oh my goodness, if I, if I could only take that back. Anybody there? Anybody else done that? I remember when I was in college, I was a freshman in college, and on the eastern part of the United States, on the far eastern coast, are the states of New York and New Jersey. Now, people from New York, and especially New Jersey, are known for being very pushy in, in the way that they, they act. And I worked with a girl who I was just a I was a, a dishwasher. I washed dishes uh, for, the, for the college to make money to pay for my college. And there was a girl that was over. She was my supervisor. and She was from New Jersey. Oh, what a pain in the neck. And just, I, I, I struggled with her because it, she was so pushy. And I was from the Midwestern part of the United States where we weren't pushy like that. And one day I was talking with my friend and I was talking about her. I was talking, her name was Joy. And I was running her into the mud. I mean, I just, I, the things I was saying about her weren't nice. And, and all of a sudden, his eyes got real big. And I thought, well, what's going on? And for some reason, I, I turned around, and there was joy right behind me. I felt about this high. And I thought, oh, if I could have just taken back my words. She burst into tears, turned around, and left. And I had to find her a couple days later and, and apologize for what it was that I said. Oh, I wish I could have taken back what, I, what I'd said. But once it's come out of our mouth, once we hit send, it, it's too late. And what I want to focus on over the next three weeks are three questions. Now, they're not, these questions are not something that I thought of. These are actually questions that Socrates, Socrates thought of. But they fit so clearly, and they are biblical in nature as well. And the three questions are this. 
Is it true? Before you say anything, determine, is it true? In America, when we go before the judge, we have to raise our hand and we have to put our other hand on the Bible and we have to swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We have to swear that. And before you say anything, is it true? And while it may be true, here's the next thing. Is the way in which you're going to say it, is it kind? Is what you're going to say, is it kind? Because while it may be true, what you're going to say may not be kind, or the way that you say it may not be kind. And the last thing is, is it, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Do you have to say that? I don't know why sometimes that people feel like it's their right, it's their need to just tell people about what's, what's bad about a place. We don't have to do that, do we? What gives you the right? And sometimes people come up to me over the years and parted my hair for half an hour telling me all the things about me. It's like, do you have a passport into my life? You know, do you, are you at that place in, in my life where you, you have that right to speak to me in that way? Sometimes we speak to people and we're not, we don't have any passport into their life. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? When you filter your words through that, I think there are going to be some times where you would want to say something, but it's like, ooh, is it true? Do, do I know for sure that it's true? Yeah, I know for sure it's true, but is it going to be kind? Is it going to build that other person up? And do I really need to say it? When you filter your words through that, through those filters, it will change the way in which you speak to one another. It will change the way in which you respond to people in your business. It will even change the way in which we as a church respond to one another. Because sometimes in a church, we can say things that we don't need to say. Or while it may be true, we don't need to say it. And the way that we said it hasn't been kind. Let me, let's look at some scriptures. And this is what I want to do this morning. I want to, I want to, I want to follow a, a family in scripture. I want to follow a line of family, a, a family line, and really look at what damage... What damage not telling the truth did in that family? Then I want to look at what, does, what is the damage that not telling the truth does? Why don't we tell the truth? And then how do we invite God into that? How do we invite God to change us into people who tell the truth? You say, well, what's so big about the truth? Uh, truth is a big thing with God, isn't it? He says in his word that he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. God doesn't lie. Whenever God speaks to us, he always speaks the truth. When Jesus comes, John chapter 1, how did he come? Full of what? Full of grace and full of truth. Jesus stands up and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said in John chapter 17, Father, sanctify them. Father, separate them by thy word. For what? For the word is what? Truth. Truth is a big thing for God. And he calls his people. He says, those who worship me must worship me How? in spirit, and in truth. Our words, our actions should all be done to the glory of God, shouldn't they? They should. And so where I want to start this morning is really looking at the truth. And the first thing that you see up here uh, is, is something I would like us as a congregation to do. I would like us to learn a verse over the next three weeks. We sang it. I didn't know that there was a song that went along with this. But I would really like us to learn this verse. Simple. If this old dog can learn this verse, I think just about anybody can. It says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would you say that along with me? 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm chapter 19, verse 14. We're going to be doing this every, for the next two weeks after this. Because this is a really big one to put away in our heart. But I want to follow the line of a family this morning. And the, line, the family line is Abraham's line. And it's interesting. When Abraham, when push came to shove, Abraham, I mean, he was the man that God had called. God, God had called him to come leave his home, leave his father and mother, leave his land, and go to the promised land. He is the father of the Jewish people. But yet, on two occasions... On two occasions, look at, what, look at what he does here. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 11, and 11 through 13. They're entering into Egypt, and he says to them, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Now, that one's a hard one for me, because, I mean, when Abraham is called to leave Ur of the Chaldees, he's 75 years old. And, and Sarah's a little bit younger than him, maybe 10, 10 years younger than him. I, that, that one's always been a hard one for me. I don't quite understand that. And he says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. And what does he ask her to do? Say you are my sister so that what? I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. We're going to get back to that one in just a minute. But this isn't the only time that he did this. There's another occasion when he's entering into, the, into, the, uh, into the, another land. And look at verse 2. And there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. I mean, two times deliberately, he, he lies. And he lies why? He lies to protect his own skin. On two occasions, we need to be really careful of the legacy that we're leaving behind with our families. I grew up in a home where, you know, the... Some of you don't even know what it is anymore. A telephone that was hooked into the wall. And my dad, sometimes the phone would ring and my dad would yell from the other room, I'm not here. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. And, and what is it that you're teaching your kids? You're teaching your kids that it's okay to lie. It, it's okay under those circumstances to lie. And, and is it ever, is it ever okay to lie? To not tell the truth. I was brought up short on this a, a few months ago. We went out to eat with somebody, and uh, I, I knew that I couldn't get away with paying the bill unless I got up from the table. And so I told him, I said, I, I'm going to use the restroom. And when I went up to use the restroom, I didn't use the restroom. I went and paid the bill because I knew this family would not let me pay the bill. And when I got back, I, they asked, well, where's the bill? And I said, well, it's already paid for. And he said, you said you were going to the bathroom. It's like, oh, yeah. Was it right on me? You say, well, that's just... A... It still was wrong. It was still wrong. See, we try to justify things like that, but it was still wrong what I did. I could have gone to the bathroom and I could have paid, paid but it, I had an ulterior motive, and what I said didn't match up with what I did. And we need to be careful with the legacy that we leave behind. What is it that you're training your kids are you teaching your kids that it's okay to have what we call white lies or half-truth? A half-truth is still what? It's still a lie. A white lie is still what? It's still a lie. And not only does Abraham do this, but now watch, watch his son Isaac, the next one. Uh, go back to that slide for a minute. When we lie, we don't realize the effect it will have on our family. That is a huge one. 
What legacy are you leaving behind? Now, Isaac. Isaac, we see. So Isaac stayed in Gerar where his father had been. And, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, what, he, what did he say? She is my sister. Like father, like son. And, and he, he does the very same thing. Can you imagine what, what Sarah and Rebecca must have felt like at that time? But it, it, it goes on. Watch the family line. We've seen Abraham. We've seen Isaac. Now watch what Isaac does in this, in this next verse that we go to. When, uh, go to the next one, please. I think you went back. Okay. Jacob. Okay. Isaac has two sons. Now, this is a, it, it takes a little bit of back, back story in this. Isaac has two sons. And while the, while the two sons are in, in, Rachel, or in Rebecca's womb, they're jostling around, and God says that the older will serve the younger. He's already determined that. And when Jacob comes out, he's the second one. He's grasping the heel. He's called you know, the, the one who deceives. And later on in life, we read this of Isaac and Rebekah, that Isaac loved Esau. Why? Oh, Esau was a man's man. I mean, he was just, he, he was the man's man. He would go out and he would hunt and he'd bring the stuff back for him. But it says about Jacob that what? He liked to stay close to the tents. And who loved Jacob? His mother, Rebekah. She loved, she loved Jacob. And Isaac, did he know the prophecy that God had said? The older would serve the younger. He had to. He had to know it. But what does he do? He calls Esau into him one day and he says, go out, and sh- go out and get for me some of the game that I like and cook it for me and bring it into me and I, will bl- and I will give you my blessing. What was he going to give to Esau? Everything. We're going to talk about this in great de- more, greater detail in a few months. But he was willing to give to his son Esau everything. You look at the blessing that he, he, give, he gives to Jacob. It's a blessing that includes nothing for the other child. And who's hearing on the outside of the tent? It's Rebecca. And she's like, under no, no, under no circumstances is my son going to be left out. And what does she tell Jacob to do? You go and you, I'll cook up some food for you. And you go into your father and you tell him and you get the blessing from your father. And he said, there's a problem. My brother Esau is hairy and I'm, I have smooth skin. And my father's going to recognize the voice. And she says, you don't worry about that. She says, I'll take care of that. And she goes out and they, they put some goat skin on his arms and he goes into his father, brings the game into his father. And look at this. Now, we, now he's in the tent. And Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son, Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. We have three generations now. Three generations. Does lying affect, and when we don't speak the truth, does it affect the next generation? It does, doesn't it? It really does. And watch, as Jacob leaves. Okay, here's some more backstory. Go to the next slide, please. Jacob leaves. Boy, Jacob is in for a long bad haul. Jacob leaves and goes to the land of his mother, goes back to where his mother is from, and, she, and he meets Laban. Now Laban, it's an American term, Laban is a schnook. He, he is a bad man. He, if his lips are moving, he is lying. He, he, is, he is all about himself. 
And Jacob goes back to, back to Laban. And remember, when, when Laban first sees, when Laban first sees Abraham's representative who comes to, to, uh, to get a wife for his, his son Isaac, he comes with the camels. And what is Laban? He runs out there. Laban runs out to see those camels. And here now, the son of Isaac is here. And he knows this kid's got some money. And Laban, or Jacob, is lovesick. He is absolutely lovesick with Rachel. And we know this, you as Asians would know this, that when it comes time to talk about the, the dowry, about the bride price, you don't go into that on your own. And Jacob is so lovesick with Rachel that he will do anything. And he says, I will marry your daughter. I will work for you for seven years if I can have your daughter's hand in marriage. And Laban goes, I got him. See, Laban has a problem. He's got two daughters. He's got two daughters, and his one daughter says about Leah, she had weak eyes. In a culture that this is all that you see, that means a lot. And he said, she has weak eyes. We don't quite know what that means, but obviously she wasn't attractive. The guys weren't lining up for her. But her sister, Rachel, it says she was beautiful in form. Whenever Hebrew goes to the work of telling you something about that, some characteristic, she must have been a knockout. But Laban's got a problem. I can't marry. I can't marry off Rachel until I marry off Leah, until I get her off my hands. I got it. I got it. Look what he says. He says, Jacob says, well, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for seven years in return for your, for your younger daughter, Rachel. If there would have been family there, if there would have been family members there, they would have like, shut up, you, you don't do that. You wouldn't give that away. There were, you guys would have worked something out. We'll give you two years and we'll give you ten sheep, but that's, that's it. That's our final price. And Jacob gives the farm away. And, and Laban says what? Look to the next slide. Laban says what? It is better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. Laban knows full well what he's going to do. Like I said, he's a schnook. If his, mouth is, if his mouth is moving, he's lying. And everything that Laban does is all about Laban. Laban knows exactly what he's got. And for the next seven years, Jacob thinks that he's going to get, get Rachel. And on that wedding night, being fairly inebriated, uh, Jacob goes into the tent and has that for, as his first night of marriage with what he thinks is Rachel. And it was Tim Keller who said that when we, when we follow those desires of our heart, and we have to have what it is in our, in our, that our heart's desire is, he said, in the morning, it's always Rachel. It's in the morning, it's always Leah. When we have to have what it is that we want. And he had to have Rachel. And in the morning, he wakes up and looks at her and says, Leah! Can you imagine how Leah must have felt? And Leah is the object of whose lie? Her father, Laban. Leah was the girl that nobody loved. And Jacob is now, for the next 20 years, his life is miserable because of his father-in-law, Laban. I want to I go ahead one couple more generations to David. And David, I don't think I have this slide up here, but David is from the line of Judah. Judah is one of, uh, Judah is one of uh, Jacob's 12 sons. I'm going to skip, skip over Joseph, but I'm going to go right into David. David is coming from the line of Judah. 
And David, it says later on when everything was well in his, in his uh, kingdom, in 2 Samuel chapter 22, it says when kings, in the springtime, when kings go off to war, where was David? He stayed back. He wasn't in the place that he should have been. And it says he went out on his wall at night and there was a woman bathing. And he asked the question, who, who, who is that? And if you read the text very carefully, what does it say? Oh, that's, that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. And who was Uriah? He wasn't some slouch. You read about David's mighty men? Uriah is one of those mighty men. And he takes her. That word to take is found all throughout that in the Hebrew. It's there, that's the key word. He took her. And he had sex with her. And not only did he commit adultery with her, but then when he found out that she was pregnant, he said, oh my goodness, now what am I, now what am I going to do? And so he calls Uriah home, thinking that Uriah has not been with his wife for this long. He's going to spend time with her. And when, when it's found out that she's pregnant, he has no worries. But Uriah is such a man of integrity that he doesn't go back to his wife. And David is tearing his hair out. He's done everything that he could. And David does one last thing. He writes a scroll. He writes a message to his general, Joab. And Uriah, the man of integrity that he is, he is carrying his own death warrant and he doesn't realize it. And he goes back to Joab and Joab opens it up and reads it. I wonder how many times he looked at at Uriah. He said, Go up to the wall, and when the fighting gets fierce, you pull back away from Uriah. And Uriah was killed. Who murdered him? David did. David did. Do you see where this family line has gone? And, and the destruction, the destruction that, that a lie causes. Can you imagine how Rachel and Rebecca must have felt when they were taken away from their husbands? Why? To just to protect them? Can you imagine what it must have felt like when, when that family was split up, the, dam, the damage that's done to, to Jacob's family? Jacob never again sees his mother. Jacob never again has a decent relationship with his brother Esau. I don't know if he ever had one. But that family was destroyed. And Jacob goes on to have a family that is incredibly dysfunctional. And when David, when David commits that sin, and when he lies about it as well, when he committed that sin, this is what lies do. They hurt relationships, don't they? When we lie to our spouse, when we lie to our, our boss, when we lie to our employer, when we say something that's not true, and it's found out, that trust level is hurt. And when David sins against Bathsheba, there's a man by the name of Ahithophel who was David's right-hand man. When David needed counsel on anything, he turned to Ahithophel. Who was Ahithophel? Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. And when you touch the cubs, when you touch our daughter, when you touch our granddaughter, there are ramifications. And you watch, what does Ahithophel do? When Absalom turns on his father David, Ahithophel goes where? He goes over to Absalom. He wanted to get back at David. Do you see the damage that dishonesty causes in, in lives? It's, it's terrible. In addition to that, you've got to ask yourself the question, so, so why do we do it? Why, why, do we, 
why are we not forward in the truth? Lies, for the most part, are, are, um, are self-centered. I'm on my third point here now, Dory. Lies, for the, on the most part, are, are self-centered. Um, Abraham and Isaac, they, they, they lied to do what? To protect themselves. And sometimes we, we tell a lie. We say uh, just a, 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 a mistruth. But we do it to protect ourselves. Sometimes we, we, we don't tell the truth because we say, well, if I say that, then we, we're, we're afraid of what's going to happen. If, if I'm honest with her about my addiction to pornography, she's going to divorce me. If I'm honest with my parents that what I'm looking at on my telephone isn't God honoring, they're going to take my phone away, and my phone is my life. I, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anybody to take that away. And if, I, if I'm honest with the boss that I've not been using my, my, uh, my spending account in the right way, I'm going to lose my job. And then we're going to lose our house. And then we're going to lose this. And we're going to lose that. I can't tell the truth. And we rationalize it away. Sometimes we don't tell the truth because we want to get what we want. When Jacob lied, when, Re- when Rebecca lied, when Laban lied, they did it. Why? Because they wanted something. And sometimes we want something. Can I, can I just talk to some of the ladies here for a minute? Um, I, I'm kind of old school on this, but sometimes um, a guy will come along and he will, I'm especially just talking to single ladies right now, a guy will come along and, and he will tell you anything you want to hear. You want him to go to church? He's there. You want him to be a Christian? He'll be a Christian. Whatever you want. Whatever you want, he'll do. And sometimes guys will tell you whatever it is you want to hear just so that they can, they can get you. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Make sure that he is a man of God first and foremost. That he loves God before he loves you. Make sure of that in your hearts because some guys will tell you anything that they want you to want, they think that you will want them to say just so that they can get you. I'm sorry, I'm a little old school on that. Um, I, you would have hated to have to come and try to date my daughter. One guy came and I put the shotgun right on the table and was working on my shotgun while he came. He said, you really want to date my daughter? <laughs> but it's important because some guys will tell you whatever you want to hear. And that's where godly counsel comes in as well. Make sure you ladies, you have somebody around you who's willing to tell you the truth. Not tell you what you want to hear, but tell you the truth. That's huge. Sometimes we don't tell the truth because, like Laban, it's habitual, habitual liars. Luke chapter 24, or Luke, excuse me, I don't know which one it is. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. When we say the things that we say, sometimes it is because of what's in our hearts and what it is that we've put there. Laban was a habitual liar. Sometimes we tell ourselves so many lies, we don't know anymore what the truth is in our lives. And Laban was like that. If the guy's lips were moving, he was telling a lie. And if you've met people like that, it's like, I wouldn't trust you for all the cheese in China. I mean, I wouldn't do that. Sorry, that was... Um, sometimes we lie to get what it is that we want. And I, here's, here's another part of that. When Absalom, when Absalom stands at the gate and when people came, what, is he, what did he use? He used flattery. 
Oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, you have a problem? Oh, if there were only someone in this land who, who could hear you and hear your, hear your case. If I were king, be very, very careful of that. Be very careful of that. In addition to that, sometimes we don't tell the truth because we want to look good in someone else's eyes. Someone is called Facebook, fake book. You look at the pictures on there, it's like, dude, that was you when you were 19 years old. That's not you now. I know what you look like now. And then we put pictures on there and we make it out like we have this amazing life. And our life is on a computer screen. And it's not real. And we can lie to ourselves on that. So, okay, so where do we go with this? Is it true Jesus offers us hope and strength when we struggle to tell the truth. Because for some of us, we, we may be saying today, I, I've been lying for so long, it's just, a, it's just a part of me. I was absolutely floored. I was reading a Harvard Business uh, report, and they were talking about this issue of lying. And they said in that, in that article, they said, everybody in business today lies. Everybody in business today lies. You just have to figure out how to do it and to do it in a way that you don't get caught. Harvard Business Study. I was like, what? what? No, it's never right to lie. And for some of us, though, we've been doing it for so long that it's just part of who we are. For some others of us, we've been lying to ourselves that we don't even know what's the truth anymore. And some of us would say, there's no hope for me. I, I, I just can't tell the truth. If I tell the truth, I will have no friends. If I tell the truth, people will realize who, you know, what, what kind of life I really have. I, I, I can't tell the truth. And then there's no hope for me. So I'm just going to go on with the rest of my life living it. I don't like it, but I'm just going to go and continue living it that way. When we make statements like that, we're saying more about what we believe about God than what we believe about ourselves. When we make statements like that, we're, make, we're saying more about what we believe about God than what we believe about ourselves. For is God able? Listen to what, what Scripture says. In Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Can God give us the ability... To, to tell the truth, he absolutely can. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I guarantee you that if today you make a step where you're going to say, I'm going to begin to tell the truth, I guarantee you that you will, have, uh, you will be faced with something either today or within the next couple of days, an opportunity where you will have to tell the truth. And it's going to be something that's going to be really tough for you to do. But when you're tempted, who's the one who's able to help you in that time to tell the truth? And for some of us, it's hard. We don't like to tell the truth. But we need to tell the truth. Because if relationships are, made, are, are going to go forward, and if they're going to be strong, they're going to be based upon truth. As well, we read in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? Is a new creation. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. And what? Look at this. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Who lives within you? 
the way, the truth, and the life. That's the one who lives within you. The one who is standing before the Father, or the one who is at the right hand of the Father right now, praying on your behalf for you. He is the one who lives within you. Is he able to help you to be able to tell the truth? Hey, let me say that a little better. Is he able to help you to tell the truth? Yes, he is. The question is, will I bring those areas of my life that I've hidden away? Because this stuff thrives in the darkness. This stuff thrives in the darkness. When we were in in Montana, we had um, a shower in the basement. And besides being dirty because my two older sons were down there, it was their job to clean that bathroom, but they didn't like going down in there. But after they left and went away to college, okay, then that, I, I took that bathroom downstairs. And I began to notice, you know, I'd go down there and sneeze and things like that. And I, I said, you know, I think it's time that we, we pull that, that shower surround off and put in a different one. When they pulled it off behind that shower surround, it was all black with mold. That stuff is terrible, that black mold. But it thrives in the darkness. It thrives. And this stuff thrives in the darkness in our lives, and that's why we need to bring it to the light and give it to Christ. Is that a difficult thing? Because for some of you guys, it might mean you finding somebody else, one of the elders, someone that you trust, and say, I need to be honest. I am struggling with an addiction toward pornography. I don't know how to to get, get over it. Guys, we need someone who's going to stick their finger in your chest and ask you the, the tough questions. But being honest, and for, for you as a, as, a, as a woman, maybe it's being honest about a relationship you have at work. It hasn't gone anywhere. But in your heart, your, your feelings toward that person have changed. And being honest with somebody about what it is that's going on in your life. Is that hard? It's very hard. But this stuff thrives in the darkness, and we need to bring it to the light. I'm going to share with you a story, and at the very end, I'm going to help us, hopefully help us to understand one concept of it that might, might be a struggle. Early on in my ministry, in, uh, when I was in Montana, I had already been about six and a half years of ministry, and Montana was my second church. Um, people from Montana, eastern Montana, are very independent people. Most of them live a long ways away from, from town, and so if something breaks, they have to fix it themselves. And so it's a very independent church. They, they knew exactly where they were going. I had a woman tell me one day, you have all of your traditions and everything that you brought from California. We have ours. We know where we're going. And you know, basically, you preach to us, but leave your hands off the ship. We'll take care of that from here. And uh, one day I got a telephone call from my district superintendent. Nice man. Very nice man. He could yell at you with a smile on his face. Um, but he called me up and he said, Joel, he said, I'm in town. He said, how'd you like to do coffee? He lived three hours away from us. And so he didn't just come to town. And I said, okay. I said, I'll meet you for coffee. And we sat down and he asked me different questions. How's the wife? How's the family? How's your church doing? And then he took off the gloves and he said, Joel, you obviously know that I'm not here just to talk about these things. He said, um, I got a telephone call from one of your board members. He said, did you say this? I said, yeah. And he said, did you do this? 
And I said, yes. He said, you sinned. And he said, tonight you and I are going to go to the board and you are going to confess that sin and you're going to be honest with them. And then he said something to me that I will never, ever forget. And this is where it may need some explaining. He said, Joel, God is giving you a chance to die. Don't blow it. God is giving you a chance to be honest. God is giving you a chance to bring this to light. God is giving you a chance to humble yourself. Don't blow it. And why did I say that story? Because I think for some of us in this room, today God is giving you a chance to die to yourself. Today God is giving you an opportunity to come to him and to bring these areas of our lives to him and to ask him to shine his light on them. Will he forgive? He absolutely will. But for some of us who hear, who will have somebody come to us and say, you know, I haven't been honest with you. If it's a husband coming to a wife, and, sweetheart, I haven't, been, I haven't been honest with you. When they come to you, be kind. Be kind, forgive. I know that's not an easy thing to do. But the last thing you do is you rub your nose. Don't rub their nose in it. Especially if your husband comes to you and wants to be honest. That's a tough thing for a guy to do. But, but hear him. Hear him, please. Is it true? Is it true? What you say, what you say in this week, is it going to be the truth? Ask God. That's why I had that verse up there in the, in the very beginning. Dory, can we have that run back up again? First slide, thank you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Did you notice it's not just the words? It's also the thoughts. Because it's out of the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And praying and saying, God, in this week, in this day, in this hour, would you help me, Lord, to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Because he will. Is it true? Is it kind? And do I have to say it? That's what we're going to be looking at. But for some of us, we need to bring those things to Jesus, to bring, bring these things out into the light so that God can work in the midst of them. You know, we are beginning uh, a ministry in the church, and that's one of prayer, uh, praying for people. And this morning, you may be here and you're saying, yeah, it's as though God was talking just to me. And I would like to pray with somebody. We want to invite you as the worship team comes up, uh, when the worship team is coming up, if you want to come and sit in one of these seats, ladies, a lady will pray with you, men, a man will pray with you. But please, if God is speaking to your heart this morning and you need someone to pray with you, somebody to stand with you, would you just come on up and, and someone will pray with you here this morning. Would you join, join me in prayer? Kind Father, and truly you are kind. You so deeply loved us that you not only gave us your son, but you also love us enough to ask us the tough questions.
And when you ask us those questions, you don't ask them because you don't know. You ask them because you desire that we would be honest before you. And God, this has been a tough message. Because for some of us, it's easier to lie than it is to tell the truth. But we miss what it is, God, that you're trying to do in our lives when we tell the truth. And Father, I don't know what's going on in hearts this morning. You do. And Father, you are the one that can take a heart that is hard, a heart that is away from you, and bring it back. You're the one who can change the way in which we speak and the way in which we respond to people. Lord, for some of us, today is a day where you're calling for us to die to ourselves. And God, I just pray. I pray that, Lord, as we bring these things to you, that, Lord, you will, you will help us. Your word says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And God, we need your strength. We need you to be the one that speaks and lives through us. But Lord, we need to be willing to lay it down. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us courage to do just that. And I thank you in advance for, God, the way in which you're going to work, not only in lives, but in families. And families will be changed. There are some here that their families will change as a result of that dad beginning to tell the truth. Some of the families are going to change because mom is finally going to be honest not only before you, but with her family. There are young people that lie, whose lives are going to be changed because today they're going to realize that what they've been doing and what they've been giving their strength and all their life to is a lie that they bought from the world. And I pray that, God, you would set us free. Jesus, you came, your word says, to set the captives free. And I pray that, God, you would do just that. In the precious name of Jesus, Father, I pray that you would be the one that speaks to our hearts and our lives. Holy Spirit, don't give us a moment's rest. Don't give us a moment's rest. It was David who said in Psalm 32, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away within me. Lord, do not give us a moment's rest if we are not honest before you. Because, Lord, you desire honesty in our inmost being. I pray, God, in this, I pray, God, all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.